0: Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang
1: all the law and the prophets. Whosoever therefore shall break one
0: of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God.
1: Shabbat Shalom. If you're practicing the Sabbath, we hope that you're having a good rest. Uh, here it is, what, the 19th of February 2021. We're already headstrong into another crazy year. I'm Sean. This is my lovely wife, Lindsay.
0: Hey, guys. Shabbat Shalom. Uh,
1: you're watching Kingdom of Context. This is our Friday night um, series called Milk and Meats. And uh, we normally we have like a like a planned lesson. But uh, I've been so busy with outside projects for the past couple of weeks that um, I basically I wanted to do some, yeah. something, interact with, with everybody, but didn't have an actual, you know, lesson of any kind. But sometimes these Q and A's become lessons on their own. Like, I mean, it's people ask really good questions. So we wanted to do another Q and Um, I actually enjoy it because I get to interact with people and talk to them more than just, you know, going through like a lesson plan. So we got lots of other videos that do that. Uh, we thought the Q and A's are good for now. So we'll do we'll do another Q&A as far because I know a lot of people are constantly asking questions throughout the week that we can't always get to. Right. So we want to give you a chance live um, to actually ask your questions, to interact. And uh, we already have quite a few people in the chat. I just want to say hey to some uh, people that have been here with us for a while. It looks like Mr. Bear's back. Blue Doves. Good with Miranda. Uh, Miss Marsh is back. Windfeather. Feather. Moday. Wendy Russell's here. Welcome, everyone. Cover to Cover with Jeremy Pierce. Welcome. David Shear. Welcome. Blossom, Rachel Sung, Align Within Us, welcome, welcome. Um, Mary Slattery, Earl Rogers, a lot of folks here. Uh, Mike K. Gunder, Morgan Kirkendall, D. Love, Exile Strong, Earl, uh, Earl I think I already said your name. She is of YAH, um, quite a few people. And then Tim, Tim, you're back. Good to see you again, brother. I, I still can't pronounce your your Russian last name, so welcome back anyway. But um, we have a lot of folks already asking questions, sweetie. So what we're going to have to do, uh, I guess, first of all, I want to make sure that the sound is okay. Can can everyone hear us okay with the sound? I guess they would have said something by now in the chat, but.
0: Yeah, I don't see. any. Let us know if you can hear us well. Looks good. Sounds good. From David. Yeah. Hey, David.
1: Thank you, David. I appreciate it. So we've already had quite a few people trying to ask questions earlier um before we even started and uh julia locke is asking about a specific interpretation of the human body versus a map of heaven and earth a creation model basically with the multiple heavens and the uh the earth itself and sheol and um sister i'd have to say that's that's an interpretive view uh if if you find comfort in that view i don't see anything particularly wrong with that interpretation but um, I've never thought of it. I'd have to give it more thought um, and take it. I guess take a look at at some of the images you've tried to supply on social media. So, I know we had another question already from. Let me see here. Uh, Rachel Stewing is asking about the new covenant. Actually, let me put this over here for you, sweetie, so you can see this a little bit. Oh,
0: there. thank you. <laughs> yeah, there you
1: go. So Rachel Soong is asking, what changes with the new covenant and when does the new covenant take effect?
0: Great questions. That's
1: a great question. Well, do you want me to take this one? I just took the last one or do you want?
0: You can start. I can add you in. You're
1: going to correct what I say? Is that no, of course mean? not. <laughs> um, Hebrews chapter 8 verses 11 through 13 is repeating Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34 in referencing the new covenant. What a lot of people miss with Hebrews chapter 8 verse 13 is where it actually says that the current covenant is waxing old and ready to disappear that's a present tense statement right and that is after the resurrection of mm-hmm. Yeshua we're still in the current covenant that's waxing old and pre- and ready to disappear okay and I would actually say that the the waxing old reference in that verse, Uh, from the writer of Hebrews is pertaining to his actual body, because that's what the original covenant actually applies to is your mortal flesh. The new covenant is the promise of getting this glorified body, which is what the introduction of it means in Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, where Yahweh announces, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to put my laws in their hearts. They'll no longer have to teach each other about who I am, but they'll all know me from the least to the greatest. That is accompanied with the promise of resurrection at the great resurrection of the saints that happens on the day of the Lord. The timing and the qualifier of that events is when Yeshua comes back at his second coming is when we get a glorified resurrected body that allows us to never sin again. That's why his laws are permanently emblazoned and written on our hearts. That's the promise of the covenant that, of that we're currently in is that if we practice these, these commandments, these, this behavior of Jesus. Now we get all that behavior given to us permanently in our, glorified, incorruptible body at the resurrection. And That is the new covenant. This is why, metaphorically, Yeshua in Matthew 26 would raise the cup of Passover, the wine he's drinking at Passover, and metaphorically talk about the sacrifice he's about to give as being the blood of the new covenant. Now, I know there's some people that disagree with this. They want to think that because Jesus died and resurrected that we're already in the new covenant. But all the qualifiers of the old covenant is the promise of the new covenant. And that's the thing I think a lot of people miss, Woody. Yeah. the actual fulfillment of the original covenant between mankind and the father is that you get to the new covenant yeah. at the resurrection. And that's kind of the strange semantic disconnect that a lot of preachers really struggle with when you ask them, okay, you're already in the new covenant. Well, according to the old Testament, which introduced the new covenant right. that the Hebrews Hebrews chapter eight is repeating about, it promises you'll know the law of God and do it, and you won't, have to, you won't have to learn about the Lord. You won't have to teach others who the Lord is. It's a very unique qualifier given for the promise of the new covenant. So when you ask a pastor, well, wait a minute, are we in the new covenant? Because the, the qualifier says that I'm going to know the Lord, and I don't have to learn about him, and no one's going to have to teach me about him. Yet throughout the entire earth, all of mankind still has to learn about the Lord and learn his ways and be taught by other people those ways. So there's a, and that's just one example. We've actually done a three part series on it. We've actually done a, a long video. It's like a 90 minute video. It's on my playlist guys. If you want to go check it out, it's our road to rescue playlist. So go to my playlist on the channel and go to the road to rescue playlists. And I've got three different videos on literally the, the title is, are you in the new covenant? Parts one, two, and three, we go over a ton of verses more than I just actually gave right there. So
0: Yeah, I will add, um, Sean's talking about the time qualifiers. Um, And so when people talk about the new covenant, um, and when they say that we're in the new covenant, oftentimes they're just quoting from the new Testament. And so I always say to them, okay, can you go back to the old Testament and show me where it's prophesied that the new covenant would happen this way? Mm -hmm. Because when I read in the old Testament, I'm seeing time qualifiers of um, Israel, the uh, scattered children of Israel being regathered. As that which happens via the resurrection. Yeah, the resurrection. And that happens before this covenant is made. And so if you read through Ezekiel 37, um, you'll see that all the time qualifiers, you'll see him saying, I'm going to gather you, I'm going to bring you back to the land that I promised to your fathers. I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. My King David will be shepherd over you.
1: You got Ezekiel 37.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll start in, let's see.
1: One second, I'll put it on screen.
0: Yeah, we'll go to verse 21. We'll just read through the end of the chapter.
1: (laughs) Okay, just one second. Okay. Okay. All right, ready? Yeah, so in verse 21 is where you're starting.
0: Yeah. And say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Behold, I'm going to take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel And one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations, and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols, or with their detestable things, or with any of their offenses. But I will rescue them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And they will be my people, and I will be their God." And my servant David will be king over them and they will all have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and follow them. And they will live on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob in which your fathers lived and they will live on it. They and their sons and their sons sons forever. And my servant David will be their leader forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them and I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in their midst forever my dwelling place also will be among them and I will be their God and they will be my people and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So there's the other qualifier guys his his right. sanctuary is in our midst the new Jerusalem's on the on the ground. None of these things have happened.
1: Yeah, it's that's a beautiful passage Ezekiel 37 the tabernacle has to be down here and mm-hmm. this is actually what ezekiel 38 and 39 leads up to with times of the end of conflict and battle leading up to isaiah 40 through 48 which is the actual kingdom come and then you got all these descriptions of the interior of the new jerusalem in, in ezekiel 40 through 48 so in fact guys if you haven't joined us for tour portions on saturday morning be sure to do that tomorrow because we're going to go over ezekiel 43 and there's some fascinating stuff in ezekiel 43 pertaining to the new Jerusalem, the father and the son literally dwelling down amongst mankind and where that and how the descriptions of that happens, which lines up with what the book of Enoch says in first Enoch 105, one and two. It says the father and son will descend and dwell with man and be united with mankind. Basically, this is what we see fulfilled in Revelation 21, verse 22, with the father and the lamb coming with the new Jerusalem. So then that in that moment, that's we've been resurrected pretty much in that same time period. My opinion, it's technically seven days before the New Jerusalem descends, but the moment that Yeshua returns with the angels to fight Armageddon and to, to rout the wicked out of the earth, and uh, the resurrection happens at the beginning of that, at the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet. This is explained in multiple passages, Revelation 11, 11 through 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 15 and 51, Matthew 24 and 29 through 31, whole bunch of places, guys. So this is the moment where we're resurrected, We have this new incorruptible body with his laws, his behavior written on our hearts so that we will never engage in sin ever again. We'll be glorified and perfected forever so that we can then enter into a covenant with him and the land so that this is the house that we're promised, the new Jerusalem. And that's what that's some of the greater qualifiers of the new covenant. So this is why, you know, if you want to if you want to metaphorically consider yourself a minister of new covenant, it means you're a servant leading basically you're someone that preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God that's that's right. kind of how Paul's using that language all throughout first and second Corinthians as well as the book of Romans he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom of God and all the qualifiers that lead to it so of course he would consider himself a minister of the new covenant right. he's he's a servant leading people towards that message to have, get them to the new covenant so there's you know hopefully that I don't know a lot of people like to throw up first Corinthians 3 but the point is um I think it's second Corinthians 3 the point is there are a lot of qualifiers for mm-hmm. the new covenant. A lot of churches don't really teach on this. Um, they just claim, Hey, we're all in the new covenant be rejoice. And you're like, wait a minute. What, what are the qualifiers for that claim? And you start to look at them and you're like, Oh, I'm supposed to have his law in my heart and not, not no one has to teach me His law. Well, we currently have churches telling us the law's done away with. Right. So we've got a huge contradiction in theological terms here. And that's a little bit of a long answer, but hopefully it was good for you to take and, and run with. And, you know? Yeah, the
0: short answer is Old Covenant for old bodies, new mm-hmm. covenant for new bodies. That's right.
1: <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is kind of a kind of a, of a related question. Mike Kegunders asking, what is our spirit? Brother, in the Old Testament, it's between the Greek and the Hebrew. It seems to be used interchangeably with the word soul. OK, the word spirit is. Um, Pertaining to mankind, always look at the context. You're watching Kingdom in Context. We always talk about context on this channel. When reading the scriptures, we want to look up the definitions of the words. If we can't find a good answer from that, we want to look at the context of how that word is being used in the passage or in uh, parallel passages that talk about the same topic. When it's talking about a man's spirit, it's used interchangeably for soul. It just usually depends on the translation you're reading. Now, if you're talking about the spirit of God, well, that's the animating power that gives life to all things, right? That can move through the father, the son, the angels, all of mankind, all of the earth, the sky, the air, the, you know, some people even refer to it as the ether from a uh, biblical cosmological standard. So the idea of our our spirit is literally just our soul. And that's the thing that was created in Genesis 2-7 or in the womb of your mother when soil, the flesh of the earth, the flesh of your mother's womb with your father's, becomes Invigorated or brought to life through the breath of the almighty um, This is the process we see in genesis 2 7 the dirt is given the breath of the almighty He became a living soul So that happens to you and I in our mother's wombs when god's Spirit his animating power Quickened and animated You know the father's zygote in the mother's womb, okay, so this was where <clears throat> uh, It's like I said, hopefully that's a lot of people get tripped up on this why I decided to address this question um, and I just want to help. I say one more time, it, at legally context and reference to mankind. It's interchangeable with the word soul. Hopefully that's a good answer for you, brother. Looks like. Oh, hey, thank you, Marlon. We got uh, someone dropping super chats. Shalom family. Will there be a link to call in? Yes, there will. Good. Good reminder. Oh, yeah. I was planning to do it, but <laughs> I, I got distracted because my lovely wife is here with me. <laughs> Yeah, there absolutely be a link to call. Let me put it in the chat right now.
0: He's always excited when he can convince me to come do a cameo. Because She doesn't like <laughs>
1: always doing this all the time. It, she gets shy. <laughs> One second, guys. I'll put the call nervous. in link. In the chat. All right. So I dropped in the chat. If you if you want to call in and, and you've got your clothes on, you know how to behave yourself. Um, obviously, if you start cursing or get, get triggered for any reason, we'll have to let you go. But you're welcome to call in and ask questions and fellowship about uh, the answer. We'd love to interact with you. Let me see here. What other question here? Uh, Commando seventy, it's Commando 777 is asking, how long is the tribulation? Well, as always, we'd want to say, like, which tribulation are what you talking about? What do we mean about? by tribulation? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you're probably referring to the tribulation yeah. that, you know, is... Yeah. Le- the left behind, you know, Narrative, series yeah. and all that.
1: <laughs> yeah. A lot of churches will talk about it as if it's uh, they'll actually argue over it, whether it's a seven or a three and a half year period. Um, <clears throat> personally, from what I understand from the book of revelation, and, and I would encourage you actually to go watch one of my videos. If you haven't seen it commando, because I don't know how long you've been watching the channel. I made this about almost a year and a half ago. It's called new heaven and new earth. So if you type in new heaven, new earth, kingdom of context, um, you should see this. It's, it's part of my Morning Cup of Context series. And I break down the whole book of Revelation, piece by speaking in groups of chapters and what their context is. And then I go into an actual timeline of all the events that it describes, parallel in it with a whole bunch of other books throughout the Bible as well, to show you how they all line up to give us a very definitive timeline to follow. A part of that timeline is 42 months. Revelation chapter 9 polyon character that's what revelation 17 8 through 11 tells us is the beast who come up out of the pit uh, also in revelation 11 it mentions that as well he's the one who's given authority in revelation 13 7 through 11 to reign um to uh, try to go out and conquer the world and to persecute the saints for 42 months so this is why i've always joked people have always you know they'll write and they'll ask us whether it's email questions in a video social media and they'll ask us Um, when's the Lord coming back? And I'm like, well, no one knows the day or the hour. I personally think we can know the season, but I don't, I don't know the year, but I will know the year in the future. If I'm still alive when Apollyon shows up because he's given 42 months. So whenever he shows up and it says the whole world wonders after him, he starts persecuting the saints worldwide. He's rolling in the authority of Satan. So that's going to be hard to miss, right? So I know when I see that happening, I got 42 months. I don't know the day or the hour, but I definitely know I got 42 months. <laughs> and since I suspect the season, according to certain passages, will be around Passover, because that it literally Isaiah 30 calls, you know, this moment, our big Passover, the moment of the resurrection, um, the, the the wrath of the lamb passes over the saints and goes after the wicked. So then I would suspect you could backtrack from there six months. So what are we talking like September, October? That's the the time of year that we would have this, the the beginning of the 42 month start. Does that make any sense? Because 42 months is like three and a half years, right? Yeah. So if you need six months, you know, before Passover time period, probably October, November, that's that's when the Apollyon character would reveal himself. And then I would count 42 months approximately from then. Still don't know the day or the hour, but we are given a lot of clues to the season. So what do you think?
0: Um, I think, you know, I I agree, obviously. I think that this popular seven-year tribulation thing, um, people have often said that to me. And I'll say, well, which verse are you getting that from? Because I have not seen any single verse that says there will be tribulation for seven years. Um, And I know they pull it from... Uh, it's either Daniel 7 or Daniel 9 yeah, Daniel 9 right. Um the problem is that first of all that prophecy just talks about a week it doesn't talk about a seven year tribulation Um second well,
1: the, that's when in Daniel this is where they get this the misconception the idea is cuz in Daniel the reference of weeks refers to week of years Yeah
0: I understand why they're yeah. thinking that way this is the other problem though um, if you read that passage, that whole chapter in the Septuagint, it reads completely differently, and you don't see any mention of a of a week and a covenant broken in a week and things like that. So, go check that out sometime if you happen to follow that notion that there's a seven year tribulation because of this week mentioned in the in the book of Daniel. If you read in the Septuagint, it'll read like a totally different prophecy. You'll be like, "Wow!" Yeah. It'll, it'll actually change how you look at eschatology if you were looking at it through that lens before. So.
1: Speaking of the Septuagint, it's applying to the next question. But before we take the next question, we also want to bring in, we have a live caller. It's Christian. Hey, brother. How you doing? Welcome.
2: Shabbat Shalom, guys. Uh, brother Sean and Sister Lindsay. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, brother. Shabbat Shalom. I uh, just want to say thank you again for having this, and Yah bless you both. I uh, i guess I just wanted to ask quickly, and I know you have some uh, videos on stuff related to this, so I don't want to be redundant, but... Um, Or repetitive, I guess. But I was blessed enough to, with my Bible studies tonight, um, I was able to bring up Torah a bit. And I was able to kind of say, you know, uh, it's a time on uh, Fridays when we get to kind of bring up scripture, Scripture and ask questions and talk about it. So I asked about, I was like, "Could we go over Torah? Because I know people say, oh, it's done away with and all this. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get the, the context in there. And I post more of your videos and share them to Facebook and all that. I'm trying to get it out there. But I was wondering, because um, when I brought it up, they were like, oh, yeah, we can read the Torah. And I was like, and some were like, yeah, it still applies. But I, I still don't think they entirely got it. And I was just wondering, because I talked to West Blaze and asked him, like, good scriptures to use and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Facebook, but I was wondering, do you have any advice of how, like, when we're going through it to kind of get the point home about Torah? Because I'm kind of, I feel like, the, you know, the Father has finally allowed me to kind of get in there and kind of, you know, get Torah into the conversation, and no, it's not necessarily done away with. I was just wondering, do you know, in this, you know, this Bible study time, the best way to do that, um, and kind of just sure. get the points in there and give, I- give the right context, if that makes sense?
1: Yes, it does. I can tell you what's worked for me. Can't can't promise it'll work for you, but what's worked for me is actually not treating the word Torah like it's a separate category from scripture. Right. So the first way you, you would present, and my from my experience is not to present it in a situation where it's it sounds like it's a separate thing or that it's a Jewish thing, right? A lot of people forget obviously Yeshua was from the tribe of Judah, and, you know, it's the, the ultimate Jew according to Romans chapter two, because uh, his heart was circumcised as a father more than anybody else. So instead of approaching it from that misconception that a lot of churches teaches that, Oh, the Torah is for Jews. Cause that's, you know, and they don't mean it in a derogatory way. That's just what they've been taught. I say, well, let's look at what Jesus did. What's Jesus' behavior. Where's he getting this behavior. Right. And so then I start pouring the old Testament because Jesus is doing the old Testament everywhere. He's doing the laws and the behavior of the Torah. Cause he's literally the walking Torah, but they don't know that. Right. Cause have never been that they have never had that idea, you know, Challenge, they've never been challenged with that thought process. So I would strongly suggest just just focusing on Yeshua's life and looking at all the places. And And I try to help you with my Matthew series on Kingdomcast. On Kingdom but um, look at all the places where Yeshua is just constantly teaching or doing the Torah. And then you can point, you know, it's going to take some diligence on your part to be ready with those references to the Old Testament. To say, well, look, you know, he's just doing the, the Torah, which is help them define it, right? It's the instructions of God, right? It's just the commandments. And then and then once you, once you have that backdrop, if you will, that's your foundation for your thought. For them to try to counter that means suddenly they're countering the behavior of Yeshua. Okay, so here's the cool part for you. You start the conversation, or at least I start the conversation, with the behavior of Yeshua, and then show them that behavior links to the Old Testament, which is traditionally called the Torah by people that are misinformed. Mm-hmm. and then you go and you can show them where yeshua says all these places for us to keep the commandments the torah
2: yeah absolutely that, that makes, makes sense. Sense. Yeah, so we make yeshua sense sense. as
1: our example of living it out and walking it and telling us to keep them ourselves so yeah. i would i would start with yeshua's example link it to the old testament and then go to yeshua's words in luke 10, matthew 23, john chapter 15 verses 8 through 11 he tells us to do the commandments, plain and simple.
2: Absolutely, yeah. When you posted uh, on Facebook the other day, it was Matthew and Enoch, and you said, uh, you know, he who teaches, you know, teaching about to break one of the commandments, at least in heaven. That was like, wow. So, yeah, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you both and praise Yah and you, you know, Yo, Yeshua for for this. Honestly, and I just also want to thank your community. Is so loving. I was in uh, your Torah, your uh, sorry, your your Sabbath morning stream the other night. Okay. And I was asking, Someone asked about fringes, and I said, "Where can I get someone? And someone, Martha Walder, actually made some and sent some to me for free. That's so awesome. So I just want to say, your community—it's amazing—and praise Yah. And seriously, Yah bless you both. It's. it's I a
0: agree. I agree. Um, yeah,
1: we have some really awesome people.
0: Yeah, we have really great friends.
2: Yeah. So, so Yah bless first, you guys and keep hey, it up. Hey, before
1: you go, I'm going to put something mm-hmm. on screen for you, okay? Mm-hmm. Just in case you want to be playful, right? And you want and you need a meme to accompany your uh your concepts here right so we let me give you a meme okay mm-hmm. so imagine, <laughs> yeah
2: yeah <laughs> imagine
1: if yeshua was resurrected and he appears to his disciples and they're like hey man we've been told that we don't have to do everything you've been teaching us this whole time we've been your disciples right we can well, he was teaching them there he was teaching his disciples his own behavior so this is the it's it's so easy but the church has made it so difficult so all I'm trying to encourage you with is that you're, you know, be gentle with them as always, right? Yes. But if you're trying to shed the light of the fullness of the scriptures and how they would apply to us. Um, it's no simpler than just to go to Yeshua's behavior because that's what he was discipling the disciples with. He was teaching them how to be like him. And he, of course, was doing everything the Father commanded him, which is the commandments. So this is why it's it's when you put it sometimes in the inverse and try to make a joke out of it. Sometimes it makes it like super clear that, hey, man, why would you stop practicing my behavior just because I resurrected? Yep. it makes no sense. In fact, his behavior was what ensured his resurrection. And that's why we're told in Leviticus 18, four and five, if we would keep the commandments, we'll have life. Same thing with Ezekiel chapter 18, 19 and 20. So this is the promise of resurrection. And it's done by the father saying, look, if you show me. That you want you want to have this behavior forever because that's the promise is that you're going to get this behavior forever, right? So that means you got to show me you want this behavior forever. It doesn't mean that you're earning your own salvation, right? Right? Yeshua still has to be the one as your high priest to mediate, and make atonement, and then raise you to eternal life. That's that's the honor and privilege that's been given to him and no one else. You cannot earn yourself. You cannot make it happen for yourself. You can show him you want it, right? This is why it's what's called sanctification as a disciple. So this is all throughout the scriptures.
0: Yeah. he Yeshua himself says, he mentions those who are found worthy that's to right. take part in the resurrection. So this whole idea within Christianity that we are just these miserable sinners and we're so unworthy of everything he's done, from us, done for us, I, I understand where that sentiment comes from. We've all sinned. Where you're trying story, to keep God. that humility um, mm-hmm. and also just being in awe of what he has done and will do for us. But we should want to behave in a way that's worthy of being called the children of the living God, We should right. want to behave in a way that's worthy of him saying to the father, I vouch for them. I'm going to raise them today.
1: First Peter talks about this, right? Striving to make your calling of your election. Yeah. Sure. Right. This is, this is done through obedience. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: All right, brother. We appreciate it. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. That, that was so helpful. And uh, keep it up. Keep, uh, you know, getting souls for the kingdom. Cause I was in so much confusion before. Uh, with all these different doctrines, forty thousand different denominations, but it all goes back. This is Holy Spirit led, so uh, praise Yah and you know Yah y- Yeshua. So I praise you. Uh, I praise I praise Yah and I thank you guys. I thank you guys awesome. sincerely. For
0: yeah. What you're doing.
2: Yah bless you and Thanks Shabbat. You. You. Shalom, brother. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.
1: Okay, Marlo, before we take your call real quick, we have a prodigal son, gave a super chat. We really appreciate it. they are also asking, what do you think of the teaching that the book of Esther is not scripture? So this is actually a rabbinical, Pharisaical uh, tradition that has sprung up over the last thousand years, where they suddenly decided that Esther was was not on the same level as uh, scripture. What's interesting is that if you look in the Septuagint, There's an additional part of Esther that's taken out of the Masoretic text. Now, if you're not familiar, there's multiple Septuagints that were in existence long before the official Masoretic text. Now, I know there's some early, early editions of the Hebrew script from the 2nd century A.D., but it did not become its official own canonized version and translation until around the 8th or ninth century A.D., which was hundreds of years after they'd already had a very prominent and popular Septuagint, which is a Greek version of the Old Testament that was passed around um, both before and after Yeshua amongst believers. So in the Septuagint it has additional chapters in the book of Esther, major major insertions I've actually considered doing an entire series on it because it's so big, okay? There's so many there's so many pieces that have been chopped up out of the original book of Esther that's put into the Hebrew Masoretic text, which is where we get a lot of our English translations. If you read the Greek version of the of the book of Esther, you see there is prophecy. Um, there is an, an, an incredible amount of important information to help you understand who the king was of Assyria at that time, actually Babylon at that time, as well as Esther's prayer to the Most High. One of the big reasons that Judaism claims Esther shouldn't be put in there is because it doesn't mention the name of the Most High God, of Yahweh. It does in the pieces that they took out.
0: Yeah. Bro. Go figure.
1: <laughs> Bro. Come on. What, what are these people thinking? Like, it's literally, you know, the, the blinded deception of a cult. That's called the Pharisees that are still alive today. And they're enforcing this thing called Judaism that is literally telling you what you what is scripture, what's not scripture. And the the things that that they've taken out of the books over the years to hide Yeshua and to hide certain things in the Old Testament. They're now running with, well, okay, well, what we have accepted now is scripture. So now you should believe this. Guys, this is what takes our diligence and, and all the resources are available to us in this modern age. Where we can actually go and we can we can look these things up, right? There's many Septuagint translations available to us today that you can research and or purchase one online if you like. And There's many free versions online. BibleHub.com is a Brent Septuagint from the 1800s. Uh, It's not a bad Septuagint translation. It's not perfect, but no translation is perfect. Okay. The point is, it's got a lot of inserted ideas. You'll see me use it and reference it many times in a lot of our videos. In fact, I'll be referencing it tomorrow as we dig into Ezekiel 40 through 48 during our Torah portion to show you something incredible, incredible about Yeshua. So be sure to check. Portions tomorrow as well.
0: I would just like to point out that I have seen some of the teachings on it and I've seen the points that they make. And I want to remind people that there's a test we call the Deuteronomy 13 test. And so that is not done at all with any of the teachings that I've seen about the book of Esther. It's all the opinions of men as to That's why right. they've suddenly decided it's suspect in the last thousand years. And it has to do with their assertions that it has to have the name of Yahweh somewhere in it. Some of their other complaints about about it have nothing to do with it contradicting the five books of Moses or any of the prophets. So that's, I just wanna remind people, that's what our standard is. That's what we're supposed to measure things by. So if you see someone teaching about why a book shouldn't be in the Bible and they're not saying anything about the problems with the content of the book in relation to the rest of the Bible, then you really have your answer about that teaching
1: that's that's why i used the word cult earlier yeah (laughs) marlo's here hey what's up brother shalom family shalom Shalom. hey i really
3: i i I appreciated uh some of the things you guys are bringing out about the new covenant um uh, typically i i start off when i'm talking to individuals about that same issue you know in jeremiah 31 i'll typically start off uh with that premise there the law being written on our hearts how do I reconcile that though? I, sometimes I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I have a hard time reconciling that with what, pa, what Paul says in Romans 2.14 about the Gentiles uh, having the law written, in their, written on their hearts. I think it's Romans
1: 2.14. Romans, two, 14. Romans two, yeah, 16, yeah, so twenty one but 14 specifically because that's what they'll be judged by on the okay. day of, of judgment according to the secrets that are revealed through Jesus Christ is whether or not they were internally keeping the law like through their okay. conscience or not so that's why it talks about the. uh he's in the context of that passage he's not talking about your working knowledge he's talking about written on your conscience if that makes any sense so the law i agree all mankind remain the image of god the law of god which is his behavior is expected of us it's emblazoned in our conscience it's on some some level just like you know it's wrong to kill someone right it's wrong to murder okay with that said if we want to take that and we want to think that that's a, that is, first of all, we have a contradiction if we're trying to use that to qualify Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. Because when the statement of Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34 was made, mankind had already been in existence for thousands of years. So if Yahweh's promising, I'm going to do a new thing, as he says in verse 32 and 33, and he qualifies the new thing he's going to do, which is I'm going to make a, a new covenant with them. So that my laws will be on their heart. Well, who, what, what do we got going on here? Right. You see what I'm saying? People have already been in existence for thousands of years, millions of them. So therefore, we've got a we got a context, is what is what we're looking at. What's the context of what Paul's saying where he's talking about final judgment and those who are either acknowledged, like he says in um I'll go to the passage and I'll pull up for us real quick, okay? Because there, uh it's a great question.
0: I think we lost his sound.
1: You still there, Marla?
3: I typically mute my mic because I can't tell if you guys hear any feedback. So that's okay. I appreciate you it. you might see me making facial expressions and stuff like that, but you might not hear no sound. All right.
1: So check this part out in the passage you're referencing, okay? Um, because the idea is that if you you know you do the commandments, um, which is in you continue in well doing, you get eternal life. And he says down here for in verse twelve through fourteen. For as many have sinned without the law, perish without the law, and the many have sinned with the law, shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just for God, but the doers of the law are justified. The Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These, the Gentiles, who don't have the law, are a law unto themselves, which shows the work of the laws written in their heart, their conscience, also bearing witness and their thoughts, the mean, the standard, while it is either accusing them or excusing them, on the day of their judgment in front of Jesus. I'm paraphrasing a little bit for the sake of time, okay? So that's why that this idea of the conscience and the judgment is written in. That's why in, when they're judged, it's like Luke 20, 30, uh, 20, 36, that, uh, excuse me, Matthew 12, 36, um, every idle word and deed will be judged according to Yeshua, right? Well, that's the stuff that the internal thing, that's your thoughts either accusing you or defending you on the day you stand judgment, Okay. So this is not in pertain. This, the whole context of this is not in the promise of the new covenant. And also the, the timing doesn't match because Paul's saying that all men at all point have had this. And if they don't have the law, this is a standard by which they'll be judged. OK, so therefore, I mean, if we're Adam between the time of Adam and Jeremiah, there's been a lot of men being born. Right. So the, the to to try to put these in the same boat would be uh, anachronistically wrong. The timing would be anachronism. Yeah. Right. So, right. basically, Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three, and thirty-four is beautiful because it's actually promising you. You let me let me take this off the screen real quick. It's promising you um, that you're going to have his entire law, and you won't have to learn about him anymore. So.
3: That that and that's pop, how I knew quiz. that there.
1: I, I got a pop quiz, Marlo. What's numbers chapter five, verse six?
3: Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell
1: you. Exactly, you <laughs> ain't in the new covenant yet, brother.
3: Right, right, right. Well, thank that's you. that's all. I mean,
1: I I can give you the theological answer. We do lots of comparisons, but that's the quickest way. You, someone comes, and yeah, you say, new covenant. I'm like, sweet, that's awesome. Let me tell me what Exodus twenty one twenty four is.
3: That's good. Now that I haven't tried yet, so I might try that out. Next time I, w- I come into that conversation. Like,
1: oh, you got the law written on your heart. That's amazing. I need to talk to you because I, right. I got so many questions.
0: Yeah,
1: that's amazing. You must have incredible knowledge. That's amazing. What's Exodus chapter 30, verse two. <laughs> right. <laughs> no one knows. Right. I mean, right. I have an idea. It's about, you know, but anyway, <laughs> the point is, I, I know, can't it's like word the word, right?
3: It's like you're saying sometimes kind of putting it in a meme way, like meme. you know, kind of yeah. joking around with it, it helps people to to get a, a, a more objective understanding because sometimes I get caught up trying to break it down theologically and then I get tied up rather yeah. than just kind of focusing on the overall general point. So, but anyway, yeah, thank you all.
1: Hey, <laughs> you're welcome, brother. You're welcome. All right.
2: Shalom, shalom,
1: shalom. shalom, shalom. Okay, looks like we have a, oh, appreciate it, James. Uh James Apple dropped a super chat for uh, $50, I appreciate it, brother. Can't tell if he did a, oh, there it is. Thank you, brother, I appreciate that. And Jace Forbes dropped a super sticker, that's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Um, Let me see here.
0: I saw one up further asking about a Polyon.
1: Okay. I think I missed it. And, of course, the doggos are going to bark.
0: Of course, the one that doesn't have a collar on is working.
1: Right. And they, they always bark and then come running in here to us and be like, <laughs> we barked! We barked!
0: We decided to leave the door open so they could come in and out. We thought maybe it would help them stay quiet.
1: <laughs> okay, so we got... Um, Obendaniah Silva uh, question says, hi, I'm heaven. I'm only 15 and I'm out of time believing that God is real. I mean, why would he put kids and people through our times and hurt? Question. It's a great question.
0: Mm-hmm. So basically, the age old question. It's why, why does God allow pain and suffering? Pain and suffering? And
1: death and why are there bad things that happen? And um, you, Jesus does promise us that in this life we'll have trials and tribulations, but he wants to encourage us that he will be with us at the end of the age. And that's the, the resurrection that we've been speaking about earlier is the promise of God saying, look, I, you know, there's this is a place where you basically you have to prove that you want to be in his house with him, which means he's given you the behavior to practice to be in his house. Now, when we practice that behavior, it helps us overcome the hurts that this outside world will bring us. It doesn't mean that we have to forget them doesn't mean we don't learn from them, but it definitely helps us overcome those hurts. Um, literally, where the more we walk in his behavior, the more he promises us that he will give us his spirit to help us heal from those hurts. I'm paraphrasing a whole bunch of verses, but if you are 15, I'm not sure how much of the scriptures you've studied at this point. So I'm trying to give you a really large paraphrased answer and encouragement at the same time. So...
0: You also, you know, maybe need to rethink your question itself, because you're saying, why would he put kids and people through hard times? And that's it's not that he puts anyone through hard times. Uh, We have choices. We have uh, the freedom to choose our behaviors and our behaviors have consequences and our behaviors don't just have consequences for us. They have consequences for people in our lives.
1: And sometimes people in our lives, their choices have consequences that hurt us for
0: us and yeah. our, our leaders you know our all our politicians all that there, there's there's le- different you know levels of you know how you know people's choices will affect other people and there will be consequences so it's not that the father desires for all these things and ultimately ultimately in the very end he does not allow evil to flourish and everyone who's practiced evil will pay for that evil that they yeah. committed if they don't repent from that and come to him and right. stop doing those things they will pay in the end so
1: that's what we were reading about in romans chapter two yeah verses six through uh six through 21 it's also i believe in Deuteronomy 7 11 those who hate god will We'll have to face him, basically.
0: Right. So I I understand that struggle. That's a question that a lot of people struggle with, and I just you know try to remind them that that's when we are blaming God for the choices of men, and unfortunately, you know, um, that's our tendency is just to immediately blame Him because He allowed it to happen. But He uh, He's allowing us to have a free choice. He's allowing us to either Mm -hmm. choose to follow His behavior or not, or not. And so there's consequences to having that. Freedom. I mean, we could just be mindless automatons who, you know, just are are robots, but that's not what he wants. He wants us to make an active choice to love him. And that involves action. So, and that those actions have consequences too. So, you know, let's remember that we can, if our lives or if there's all kinds of turmoil and really crazy things going on in our lives that are making us question the father, you know, I mean, sometimes maybe we need to look at our own Walk, and maybe we're suffering our own consequences. Maybe we're maybe it's not a spiritual attack, maybe it's the consequences of our own sin or something like that. So,
1: and eight out of ten times it is,
0: yeah, sure. more often than not, it's our it's the result of our own stupid decisions <laughs> that got us into trouble. And then we're reaping what we sowed,
1: yeah. The most so. pain I've ever experienced in my life was my own fault, yeah. Same here, <laughs> my own fault, yeah. That's, I mean, I'm pretty sure that is what the book of James talks about, you know, be not deceived. What a man sows, he'll also reap. <laughs> Yeah. So um, yes, it's a mixture of things, yeah. right? But all none of it truly is the father trying to just pick, single you out to hurt you, right? He wants, he loves you, cares for you. He wants to give you hope in the future. He he wants he wants you to be strong and able to you know be emotionally mature so that you can handle life's hurts and still choose to show love to people. That's what being a disciple of Yeshua eventually leads to. That's the goal anyway, because that's what Yeshua did. Even to the point of other people hurting him by killing him on the cross and he's up there praying for them on the cross. That's pretty severe. That's that's pretty amazing emotional maturity.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've had some serious trauma in my past and I look back on it now and I actually feel grateful that I went through some of the stuff that I went through because it really strengthened me. It put me to a point of desperation where it was like I had the choice to either try and grow and seek God or... Just fall into the victim mentality, you know, just become a victim of my own PTSD and all that kind of stuff and use it as, as an excuse to not really do anything with my life. So, you know, we, sometimes those tribulations, you know, Paul talks about um, it uh, producing endurance and endurance mm-hmm. producing perseverance. And I would have to go to the verse and read it to you, but, but yeah, so sometimes those trials actually serve you know, to refine us and make us better people and stronger people, make our faith stronger. So, absolutely, you're still young. You got a lot of life to live still. Don't lose your hope.
1: But thank you for the question. It's a good question. All right, I'm uh, real quick. I think I saw Presley Lundquist is asking, "Do you believe there should be limits on women's roles in ministry today? Should there be pastors and teachers, etc.? Do you have a video on this?"
0: we don't have a video on it I believe that the model we see in the scriptures doesn't necessarily include female pastors in the sense of spiritual authority over a church
1: caveat the Old Testament has some examples of women being in positions of leadership over other women also as an actual judge over Israel Yes, which means Men appointed her to that spot, right? So, (laughs) something to keep in mind. Um, there's always usually a man in the mix of that hierarchy of structure, which is what the father intended, right? Yes,
0: and I'm sure Deborah was married and had her husband's approval for all of that. That's right. So, I mean, look
1: at John the Baptist's parents, both Elizabeth and John, or um, Zacharias were considered both really righteous, blameless, even doing the commandments of God wonderfully in their life. Um, And in that same time period, there was another lady called Anna. She was called a prophetess and she was working in the temple too. Um, So the point is women weren't excluded from uh, the idea of being a prophetess even, or a judge, which is someone that would have to decide, you know, case matter uh, through the Torah over other people. But usually there's always other men around. There's always another, there's validation through the hierarchy of the man is usually the first elder or judge who would then appoint others who what? what's the big qualifier, sweetie? You got to know the Torah.
0: Well, and that's what I'm, I was going to say. Um, if we look at priests, women were definitely not priests and definitely okay. could not be priests. And the priests were, oh, they man. were the teachers of the law. They
1: supposed to be the first and foremost. They were the
0: ones that's they were tasked with teaching the law to the people, and then it goes yeah. down the pike. And so a judge would know the law, right? They have to have to know the yeah. law. But did a judge sit and teach the congregation the law? I'm not so sure because it right. seems that the priests are tasked with doing that.
1: And a female prophetess would have taught other women right. the law, which is what Paul talks about in Titus chapter one.
0: Um, and so for me personally, um, that's why you guys don't necessarily see me on here all the time because. I don't feel it's my place to be the teacher or a teacher. Like I feel like I'm supposed to be here as a counterpart to my husband and in service to you guys. Um, And that's kind of how I look at it. I look at it as an act of service to others and not necessarily that I'm sitting up here teaching with my husband per se. I know people are learning from me and I'm not going to be one of those people that lives in denial and says I'm not teaching. (laughs) I mean, I'm obviously sitting here answering questions with my husband, you know. (laughs) but I
1: have a so what's the what's the standard though what I have what, what a did standard we just, of, just explain about yeah there's usually always a man around
0: exactly that has
1: appointed the woman yes. and has vetted her knowledge yeah. so guys when my mm-hmm. wife is talking we've had all these convers- mm-hmm. all this stuff we talk about and we, we teach on we've talked about privately and I've shown her the scriptures if she had a question and I went over it with great detail you guys think I go into lots of references and scriptures and talk too long about stuff just ask her what happens behind <laughs> the scenes. When she asked me a question about the Bible,
0: he'll come out, I'll be wrapping a pendant out in in my little office and he'll come out and say, Hey, will you come here for two minutes? And I'll say, is it really going to be just two minutes? (laughs) And it's never two minutes, guys. I'm telling you, it's 10 minutes minimum every time.
1: I've got to make sure you understand what's, (laughs) what's going on. And I have to show you all the scriptures. Yeah. I'll Don't just, I up.
0: usually, I just bring my jewelry in here with him and keep working on it while he's talking to me showing me all his, all the stuff he's seen in the word.
1: But the good news is your, your comprehension has been exhibited, not just through what I've seen before I met you, but also as, as we've been married for three years yeah. and I've seen you exhibit that in interaction with other people. Um, I've seen you exegete the word very faithfully and very studiously and diligently. So as a result, I feel confident and comfortable uh, with you being with me. Now, you guys remember when we did Keenan portions about two years ago? She didn't want to be live. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't don't know if I was going to be comfortable with her being live yeah. two years ago because she was still learning a lot.
0: And right? I'm totally secure with him saying that because I'm actually in agreement with him. You know, I didn't I didn't want to. I didn't know the Bible nearly as well as I do now sitting with him on a live show because I've learned so much from him and I didn't want to say the wrong things and lead people in the wrong directions. And so I was very,
1: you guys didn't want to see me scrambling to turn off the, turn very off the video tolerant
0: of him, you know, saying, wait, 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 we got to back up. That's not, I don't think we, I mean, there was, there was quite a few reshoots that we have done, so <laughs> we could probably have a whole yeah, series of our bloopers that we cut I, out.
1: Where I would would be filming out stop and go. You can't say that. You, <laughs> let's, no, no. Let's take it. Let's take a look at this again. Let's.
0: But then, but I was open to being corrected and taught, and you know, even if I, even if my pride and ego got in the way for a moment, I maybe got catty with them in response. No, you know, never, baby, never, never. That would never happen. Me, no. no. <laughs> but I, you know, I. That's I am. I am of that mindset that I believe that's part of me submitting to my husband and his leadership uh, and his teaching. Um, If you guys, you know, think I'm proficient. If you agree with everything he said about his analysis of me, well, I can just tell you it's because I've been blessed to be living with this guy 24 seven for three years now. So I just get to pretty much learn the Bible all, all the time.
1: (laughs) I can't help it. I'm sorry.
0: Every hour of the day and night. So That's, that's our stance. Um, I do. I take issue. I, there was one time I went to a Hebrew roots fellowship recently or um, locally uh, when I first came to Torah and I went to this uh, gathering at some, some house down in Loveland in Colorado and I come in and it's a lady leading the whole congregation and a man gets up to introduce the lady and the man talked about her being our spiritual authority And how we should submit to her. And that just, ooh, I just felt like I needed a shower after that. And I never went back to that congregation afterwards. Because I I also was a single woman. And I kind of, you know, was wanting that protective feeling of having men that were guiding me. Like, I was seeking that. I think that's a good thing for women to seek. Um, You just got to be careful (laughs) of what kind of men are guiding people. Because anybody, you know, can... Hop on YouTube or you know, stand up at a pulpit. You just never know. We're so. on YouTube. Yeah. So I like I like my position where I'm at. I get to just come on and do my cameos with my hubby as I feel <laughs> led.
1: <laughs> Appreciate it, Presley. Hopefully that's a thorough answer for you. Um Jose Martinez is asking, will the Lord forgive me for my tattoos? What do you think, sweetie? Uh, you show me your arm.
0: I sure hope so. <laughs> I I would hope so. I can't show you the other ones cause they're on my back, but
1: yeah. So I don't actually have any tattoos just because I'm too picky. Um, I've stood in tattoo <laughs> and shops he knows better. Well, I mean, even before I knew better, like <laughs> no. I was just too picky. Like I stood there for like three hours. I couldn't pick anything out. Um, and I didn't have anything significant in my life that I cared to have on me forever. So <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, ultimately brother or sister. I don't think it's Josie. I think it's Jose, right? Jose. I
0: think. Yeah.
1: yeah uh, ultimately look, The, you know, the Lord has saved people after worse sins and transgressions. I'm just gonna let you know. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So there's people out there that, you know, myself, I I don't, I feel like tattoos are definitely instructed not to do, but you know, as far as the, think about the Torah, as far as there was different punishments for different transgressions. Okay. So do are we given a punishment for someone getting a tattoo in the old Testament?
0: no. I don't see. Because that
1: would have just been covered under Leviticus chapter five and six, the guilt offering.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You just, you committed a transgression, you atonement for it. You may still have to suffer the consequences of what you did in the, in the physical. But as far as a priest and judge of, of Israel exerting the law towards you to some kind of punishment, there is no punishment explained for getting a tattoo. So, I'm not saying I'm not saying to do it. We actually teach against it, right? We don't think you should get tattoos, right? But at the same time, it's yes, you can be forgiven for it. Yeah. Um, Jason, Jason T has a great question. He says, What do you make of the feast in Zechariah chapter eight? Verse, excuse me, the fasts in Zechariah eight verses nineteen. Uh, so, brother, I got on screen here. This is actually a moment where in history, and I don't have the, the references right now, but in the history of Israel, um, during, during this time period, they actually had developed these fasts because Zechariah was in the he was in that hundred years between um, the northern house being invaded by the king of Assyria and then during the days of Jeremiah where um, Nebuchadnezzar Babylon came and invaded. But it didn't happen immediately. So Nebuchadnezzar Babylon and the uh, was the last straw, if you will, was the last conqueror from Babylon that came through. But before that, there was other kings of, of Babylon that came come over and tried to attack Jerusalem. And it took a matter of anywhere from 13 to 20 years that they were under attack. And specifically, um, you know, at many different many different points, they were under attack. So they developed these fasts, as you can see here on the screen, um, the, of the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th month. And well, all that Yahweh is promising here is he's promising through Zechariah there'll be restoration. He's given them a an immediate cultural understanding so that these are fasts that you guys have chosen four times out of the year to mourn these specific events that happened when you guys were being attacked by another nation. But instead, I'm going to turn those into joy in the future, whenever Israel's is fully restored and the kingdom has come. So that's the shortest, quickest answer I can give you. Just look into history as far as the four fasts, and they're documented in history. In fact, we don't we don't recommend Judaism at all, but they do have his accurate historical resources. One of them is at chabad.org, c-h-a-b-a-d.org, and you can they'll actually explain the four fasts of that of Zechariah chapter eight, as far as what fast of what month was being commemorated for which part of the you know the 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 invasion, different pieces of invasion. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> um, so let's see if I can find another quick question here.
0: I think there was a follow-up question uh, asking if we think that people should get their tattoos removed. I, only if you feel you need to. Um, I don't. <laughs> you, yeah. Your tattoos will be removed at the resurrection, so the Father will take care of that for you. But if you feel like you just don't want to look at it, if it's just an awful tattoo, if it's like a hatchet man or something, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I, sure, yeah. You know, if you have the money to get it removed and you don't want to look at it anymore.
1: There's so a father. Rahab. Is there anywhere in the word that the father says remove that tattoo if you've gotten a tattoo no. and you've come to faith now? No. Think about like, you know, I mean, let's think about Rahab. Mm-hmm. Let's go to let's go to Jericho Rahab, Joshua chapter three through five. She's a prostitute. I'm going to just go on a limb. So she has some tattoos and possibly some scars. Yeah. If she's actually involved, ingrained in that society, mm-hmm. which was uh, Baal worship then they're doing some ridiculously bad things at the temples. Yeah. Okay. And cutting actually was a big popular uh, thing that would be associated with bell worship because it was a part of the depression that came as well as the bloodletting, which was a cult sacrificial rituals. So um, I would, you know, if she's got scars from those sacrificial rituals because she was being a part of it, guess, guess who's a part of the sacrificial rituals. Back then, guys, the male and female prostitutes. Yeah. So when she got saved and she came and was engrafted into Israel after Jericho was defeated and she joined forces with Israel and was saved according to the word of the Lord. Did the father say, I need you to, you know, all these physical consequences of your life before you came into faith and obedience with me. You got to somehow scrub yourself clean and be like the day you were born. It's impossible, guys. He takes us. This is where that that old church adage does come in. Right. He takes us where we are and he makes us better from the inside out. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this life before we die and get resurrected, we may still have some scars from some of the sin that we entertained before we came to him. But it's okay. You'll be you'll be you'll be all right. Work on the heart first. That's the most important. That's the weightiest matter. Amen. All right. If Okay, so Esperanto God is asking if I disobey Yahweh willfully, am I doomed for the lake of fire? What do you think, sweetie? Um,
0: well, I mean, this is a question that
1: you're asking us to judge your heart. You're asking yeah, us to stand in place I'm not of Yeshua.
0: Comfortable answering these kinds of questions, I well, don't think they're fair to put, <laughs> put me, us in that judgment. Let me seat.
1: let me approach it from the law. Okay, what does the law in Leviticus chapter one through seven explain? Right, there's there's sins. For the people of Israel, for the individuals of Israel, and for uh, two different types of sins. Right? There's guilt offerings where you knew what you were doing and you sinned, and you can actually make atonement for that. And there was the sin of omission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Leviticus chapter four, where sin you did
0: ignorance,
1: where you didn't know what you were doing. Some some translations call it omission.
0: Interesting.
1: So you didn't know what you were doing, and there was still atonement for that as well. So even the fact that they're two qualifiers, the father knows you're going to do sins willfully. <laughs> what is it? Psalm 51. David is, is praying father, keep me from willful sins. Like what yeah. did David do? You yeah. think, you think he didn't know taking Bathsheba was wrong. Come on now. Like what, yeah. what is his, uh, what is his commander? Um, what was this commander? Jobab or eight, not Jobab. Um, in, in uh, i think it's in like first Samuel 2nd Samuel 23 where David is uh wanting to do a census and he's wanting to count all of the men of Israel the fighting men of Israel and his commander i think i think it's Joab his commander comes to him and says don't don't do this this is a wicked thing and David says just go do it and then prophet Nathan shows up and says since you've done this wicked yeah. thing the lord's going to give you three choices you got 3 days of famine you got 3 months of what is it 3 months of um um, invasion from your enemies uh, Three days of the death angel Three months of invasion of your enemies Or three years of famine And, and the father's like I'll take the three days of the death angel Because at least I'll be in the mercy of the Lord And all of it was about his sin So this was And he willfully did it He even had one of his right hand men tell him don't do this yeah. This is wicked, this is bad, don't do this <laughs> So guys, yes He can save you from willful sins But that is not a license to sin Okay Like we read earlier from Romans chapter 2, also in uh, Matthew 12, 38, uh, Matthew 25, 31, everyone on the earth, everyone's been born, Revelation 20, 15 through 20, everyone who's been born ever will have to stand before Yeshua to give atonement for their life. Now, no one's going to have a perfect ledger to hold up for him. None of us are without sin. We've all messed up. But that's where... You know, he knows who's put his faith in him to create atonement for them and so he can raise them to eternal life and who rejects him. So I would say don't dwell on your sin. Do your best to get accountability in your life. Get better at it, at at not sinning. Get better at resisting that temptation. James, was it 4, 7? Resist temptation. Submit yourself to God and the devil will flee from you. So do your best, James 4, 4. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you, right? Right he knows we're going to sin first 1 john 1:8 1, he who says he's without sin is a liar right so we we know even paul talks about this in romans 7 he, caught, he he goes into great depth about how he sometimes doesn't do what he wants to do and he knows willfully that read that passage at the end of chapter 7 of romans he goes into great depth explaining the internal mental and philosophical struggle with his sin in his life knows that he's a wretched man of sin and that he's saved by his faith in yeshua knowing that he's walking in active repentance He's continually learning the law of the Lord. He's continually walking in obedience to the father and the son. And that's just part of discipleship. So you get better at getting the sin out of you, but yes, you can be saved from willful sins because why we've all willfully sinned. just going to throw that out there. All of us.
0: Yeah. I mean, the father literally built into his creation, a, a system for what happens when we willfully sin. So I would say, The difference, you know, is you're a person who's who has who doesn't have a seared conscience. I think when your conscience is seared, that's when you you've reached a point where you you're not even concerned about disobeying Yahweh. Um, I mean, and there are people in this world who, you know, they go out of their ways to be in covenant with Satan. So, you know, if you're in covenant with Satan and you're doing rituals to him and sacrifices to him and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're in some willful sin that is going to lead you to the lake of fire. Right. But if you're walking a covenant with the Father, you believe in Him, you have faith in Him and His Son, you're trying your best to, you know, thought, you're actively trying to follow His ways, and you're human and you're fallible and you stumble, and there are things that you struggle with from your life before you were following Him that you still because we don't we're not changed in a moment when we come to faith before the resurrection.
1: What what is uh? Peter has to deal with that same idea. He had a sinful thought process and a sinful heart about Gentiles that he had gleaned, unfortunately from the Pharisees, because that, that's what they were teaching during that days of Yeshua. But Peter hadn't had to have an entire vision and an angel show up to help him get past that bad thought process and that bad favoritism. The, the very thing that Yeshua or that James preaches against in James two, Peter is dealing with that. as he views Gentiles with discrimination in his heart and he has to, he thinks they're unclean people he has like his own sense of racial superiority, right? And he has to have that weaned out of him, that was a sinful attitude, that is not Torah, the Torah says love your neighbors yourself, and who's your neighbor? Oh, it's the foreigner that lives among you who were the Gentiles in Israel at the time? Foreigners living among them, so like the, you know, this is, uh, and that's Peter, he went through discipleship with Yeshua and still was struggling with, your, with sin
0: Yeah, if you look at the differences, you know, you have these Uh, men of God that have their faults and their sins that they struggle with. And then you have the men who call themselves the men of God, and then they go off and do stuff with the Midianites and, and worship other gods. Like they literally go and worship other gods. So there's a difference, you know, with what you're willfully participating in as far as sin goes. I know people like to say all sin is the same, but if we look in the torah that's not the truth and of course that doesn't mean you should oh this this is a little white sin and that's okay and this is the really bad that's not what we're saying but there are clearly different punishments for different sins and different offerings required for different sins and things like that so when you're saying if i disobey yahweh willfully well what context you know what context are you asking the question in is what you really have to think about
1: <laughs> well let me, let me ask you this Esperanto god the follow-up to your willful sin is their willful repentance.
0: Exactly. If you're at a point where you're not convicted of that sin and you're not feeling bad about that sin, I would be worried if I were you.
1: Not just the feelings, but the actions to change right. the process, to right. change the behavior. So this is the willful repentance is the follow-up to that. And that's what the father honors all throughout his word. He says it all, all over the place. Just repent. I'll take you back. Stop doing, clean your hands of sinners as Isaiah six, one, you know, this is the idea that repentance is possible until the day of death. Yeah, You've got, if you've got breath in your life, you've still got it you've still got an opportunity to walk in repentance and walk in discipleship. So that's what we would encourage, but yeah, be, don't let the, don't let the, uh, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin, brother. Don't let the enemy fool you. uh Mike Gunder is asking what's a prophet or a prophetess. Well, that's going to be someone that's been called by the father to be a voice of Teacher of counsel to kings, but also a teacher of the people of Torah. So the in the old testament, a lot of people get this mindset of, Well, these prophets are doing all these amazing things. It must be a miracle worker. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the spirit of God worked through them to do miracles, but that wasn't what they were called to do. When Elijah, who trained Elisha, when he went to go get him as a boy to train to invite him into his discipleship process, he didn't call out to him and say, Hey, you want to work a bunch of miracles? And have a mantle that's double the amount of miracles as me? Do you want to do 16? I'm not only going to do eight. <laughs> no, he didn't say that stuff. He said, do you want to know Yahweh? And I'll teach you how to know Yahweh. I'll teach you to walk in the commandments. You can get better at it over time. And then when you're ready, you can go out and teach the people as well. And when he was, and, but through that dedicated, heartfelt process, like I've said to the, to the girl earlier, the more you practice the, the, the commandments of God, the more the spirit of God is going to flow through you because he wants a willing vessel. He wants someone that wants to be obedient to him and he'll do miracles through you. He just needs you to be obedient so he can do that. So this is the idea of what why the prophets who were specifically being trained to be what's the word? Um they were they were being trained in like uh you know with a with a mindset or a dedication to be more obedient than the average person. Mm. Okay, so this is why a lot of times the high priest was also referenced as a prophet because the spirit of God would flow through him to prophesy, just like we see from John the Baptist's father but also from lots of people in the old Testament, right? Um, Esdras, the high priest, Ezra in the book of Ezra during the days of Nehemiah, he prophesied lots of fun stuff. He's also a high priest. He was extremely, extremely faithful and diligent to the father and the commandments. So this is the reward. You're right. That's why a prophet was like, you know, a prophet was like almost kind of feared in a way, like feared as respected highly as like, you know, like the, the guy, the kids that may not, they're not kids. They're actually the young lads, um, many people would say they're actually just young men, um, That, but the the young, you have to look at the translation. But the young lads that tried to mock Elijah and tell him to go die, they're basically flipping him off and tell him to go die. Um, well, they were disrespecting this incredibly honorable man. Bad things happen to those dudes. Same thing with the, the council of kings that came to Elijah and Elijah called down fire and destroyed them because they were trying to come and trap him. So there was a sense of, of the way the, the the gift of the spirit would flow through the prophets because of their dedicated heart. Same thing with the prophetess. Although we don't see documented a lot of miracles happening through the prophetesses doesn't mean it's not possible. It just, just means that there's a lot of specific prophets that are being focused on in the old Testament.
0: Well, those ones seem to be the ones with the authority,
1: the, the males, the males. Yeah. yeah. So the reason i say this is if we remember in, um, Exodus, I can't remember what it's, Exodus, is it Exodus 19? It calls um, Miriam a prophetess. Yeah. It's, you know, the the sister of Moses Mm -hmm. and Aaron. She's called a prophetess. And then we see that she's put in leadership over the women to teach them the Torah. So yeah, hopefully that's a thorough rounded answer for you. Thank you, sweetie.
0: It's a little hot in here. I had to turn our space heater off.
1: Um, researcher 55, can you speak about Revelation 12, 12 through 17 or Revelation 12 17? <laughs> because your colon is off. Um, brother, there's no way I can speak about six full chapters, so I'm just going to assume you meant Revelation twelve seventeen, which says Satan the dragon was wrath, was, was angered, and he went off to make war with those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. So this is this is what he's always done. That's not the first time he's doing it in Revelation 12, 17. That's what he's always done since the garden um, when he approached Adam and Eve. So this is the first act of making war against mankind. Adam and Eve were keeping the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. So they understood prophecy, according to me, according to a whole bunch of other stuff we've talked about in On Our Kings, and they were absolutely keeping the commandments of God. Um, I've tried to expound on that in other passages, other other videos this is the mo of the of the enemy from day 1 they've always been about this and this is just a specific moment in prophecy where this the enemy satan knows that his time is short so he's just you know he's he's letting it all loose to try to attack mankind whereas kind of like right now and throughout most of history, he plays that, you know, that shadow character, right? Where he's manipulating other people to hurt themselves or he's manipulating foreign governments to hurt their own people in mass ways or create wars. Um, but rarely does he just actively get involved himself. I mean, like we see this moment in Luke 4, Matthew 4, where he approaches Yeshua and tries to attempt Yeshua in person, which I think is pretty bold. Um, but you, you ever wonder, like, you ever wonder if... if This is the part I I wonder about because the way Enoch 46 and 48 talks about how the son of the most high, the son of man character that that accompanied the most high, the almighty in the visions that Enoch is seeing and in the heavens before the sun and moon and stars were created. And all the angels knew who the elect one was. It makes me wonder once Yeshua incarnated in the flesh, born through the woman Mary and is walking around and Satan goes up to him. He's like, has Satan ever physically seen Yeshua in heaven before that point?
0: That's a good question. And
1: does he kind of look the same in his human body? You know, what yeah, I mean, it's
0: like, a good question. but he,
1: cause he clearly knew who he was, right. like, without a doubt, no, no ambiguity, just like mm-hmm. the other demons.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: even though Satan's an angel, not a demon, there's a difference. Um, but clearly he knew who Yeshua was and he went right up to him to tempt him and test him. And yeah, I think it's interesting that, but ultimately he's been doing that against mankind forever. So, um, Let me know if you see one that you want to, you want to pick out. Uh, Joy, I actually don't know um, the details of this story very well. So I apologize. I, I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, people, people will make fun of me because they're like, oh, you think you know it all? And I'm like, nope, just watch one of my live videos. I'll tell you if I don't know. I don't know. So this particular Elisha story <laughs> that you're referencing, I don't know the details very well to speak on that. And I apologize.
0: And that is a quality that a teacher should have. (laughs) You should be okay with saying, I don't know.
1: All right, Richard Marriott, great question, brother. He's asking if we feel worthy, if we feel we are worthy for eternal life, doesn't that make us self-righteous?
0: It's not about how we feel. As I explained earlier, to be found worthy means you were behaving in a way that was worthy of him saying, yes, he's one of mine. He deserves to be in my kingdom because he followed my ways and I know his heart. And so it's not about us walking around saying, I'm so worthy of this. It's walking around saying, I, In fact, I pray to the father to please always help me behave in a way that is worthy of being called one of his children. So it's no, it doesn't make us self-righteous. That's a totally different.
1: Yeah. What's the definition of righteous? Totally different
0: phrase, really.
1: Yeah. Is the word is the concept of self-righteous in scripture?
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be the opposite of actual righteous. I mean, you can be called righteous. The father calls a ton of his servants righteous all throughout the book. So clearly it's not wrong to say, you know, I want to behave righteous and I'm trying to live, lead a righteous life. And it's when you're self-righteous is doing your own thing and calling it. Right. Right. Exactly. Right.
1: Not doing the behavior of God and calling yourself. Right.
0: Yeah. Being a That's hypocrite. self-righteous. Okay. Yeah.
1: God says, six twenty five: you keep my commandments statute ordinances. You'll be considered righteous. This is the righteousness that uh, Paul references in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, when he says there is a righteousness that comes from the law. This is what Moses showed you, showing them the fullness of the law. This is how you can do the behavior of the Father so that you can be in right behavior. That's what the word righteousness means. I'm kind of giving away. I'm I'm setting up another uh, in, in less than two minute video. It's on righteousness. I'm kind of giving away some of the talking points, but it's all right. So ultimately, guys, there is a definition in Scripture for the word righteous. The modern vernacular, the modern phraseology, if you will, colloquial term in our culture for self-righteous is someone that is doing their own way and and considers them justified in their own behavior, not the behavior of the Father. Okay? But if we're going to define the Father's behavior, he tells us if we practice the Father's behavior, his behavior, then we're considered righteous. I'm going to put some verses on screen because both Paul and Yeshua explain the same concept.
0: Yeah, and it's about him deeming us worthy. It's not about us saying I'm worthy for this. And he
1: tells us the qualifications, how we can be deemed worthy by by the Father and the Son. (laughs) So let's look at it real quick, okay? It's in Luke 20, 35. It says, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and resurrection from the dead, neither neither marry nor are given in marriage, okay? So it's at the resurrection, you're considered worthy. That's how you're resurrected. If you look to the right at a cross-reference verse here in 2 Thessalonians 1, 5, Paul says, all this is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment. And so you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So there is a way in the scripture to be considered worthy of God. It's not self-righteousness. It's his standard that we're abiding in that he can then look at us just like second Thessalonians one five says in God's righteous judgment, we're considered worthy so hopefully that encourages you i know that kind of vernacular you're referencing is passed around in certain christian circles and it's done in a demeaning derogatory yeah. way to make you think like she my wife referenced earlier that you're never good enough and that you can never ever ever actually be obeying god therefore the law we, sh- we can never attain to it you're self-righteous if you try all that is a lie from the devil mm-hmm. the words in scripture tell us a very very specifically clear distinct story that you we have a standard that we can practice it's been clearly defined for us. We just have to practice it. And I'm using this word practice just like Leviticus 18.4 does. I'm using it specifically because that is what we do. We practice, which means we don't get it perfectly right. We're going to fail. That's what we talked about earlier, right? First John 1.8. He says, without sin is a liar. We practice this behavior. We get better at it over time. It's called sanctification. It's a part of our discipleship. And that whole process leads to Yeshua was staring at you in Luke twenty thirty five and saying, those who are considered worthy to attain to the age and get resurrected. Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, by the way, you won't be married or given a marriage. You'll be like the angels, right? Because they're servants of God. They're in a priesthood. That's why we're promised to be in a glorified priesthood and a glorified body and a glorified resurrected land of New Jerusalem. We're being all, all of it's wonderful, right? All of it is based upon the fact that he looked at your life and he actually found you worthy. So this runs really, really rough with a lot of prominent Christian doctrines yeah. that tell you that you are utterly sinful from get-go and that everything you've done in your life, the first time you sneezed, you came out the womb, you deserve death. It's such it's all based Terrible. upon fourth century Catholic doctrine yeah. of original sin. It's it's extremely bad Catholic doctrine that's been brought over into Protestant churches, propagated mostly by Southern Baptists.
0: Borderline mentally abusive.
1: It, it, guys, it's not scriptural. That's the yeah. whole point. It's not scriptural. The father says very simply, do my behavior. I'll consider you worthy and I'll resurrect you. Yeshua talking to the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, Luke 10, the rich young ruler says, what do I got to do to get eternal life? Yeshua tells him. He didn't say, oh, you can never be worthy. He tells him, I'm going to yeah, just do the commandments. Yeah. If you want eternal life, do the commandments. So hopefully that encourages brother. It's a great question. A lot of people um, struggle with that over time. It's so funny. I, I have to stop myself with some of these questions. I get excited.
0: <laughs> I can tell.
1: All right. you see? Uh, let me see here. It looks like um, Apocrypha Truth is asking about a specific Isaiah 53 10. Um, can you explain Isaiah 53 10? His, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Who is his seed? well who is he yeah who is who is he that's for one it's it's a prophecy the whole chapter is about yeshua specifically about yeshua doing his priesthood that's how he bears our sins and that's how he justifies the many as referenced in verses 9 and 12 so the whole concept of the seed is those who are in his behavior and this is what he references is a um Idiomatic phrase in John chapter eight verses 40 through four, 44 through 52. We're speaking of the Pharisees and he's like, oh, you're of your father, the devil, because you do his behavior. Yeah. If you were of the father, God, you would do God's behavior. It's
0: a spiritual term. He's going to he's the one who's resurrecting us. We're going to be disciples of him. Right. So, you know, where are the seeds that he's planting to to reap from the earth? Literally, when he returns. Right. Right. So,
1: a lot of folks will take this terminology in the Old Testament of the seed and they want to make it very literal. Mm-hmm. They want to also go into serpent seed theology and all that kind of stuff. Please, please go see my two, two videos I did with Zen Garcia where I address all the serpent seed points. It's, uh, it's actually on our milk and meats uh, playlist and it's uh, serpent seed part one and part two. Don't miss part two, guys. You've got to watch part two because that's where I actually give all the rebuttals to the serpent seed argument. I just listen the first time and I hear the whole argument. But then in part two, I actually come with all my rebuttals with scripture so hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. But what I see a lot from this, though, is people seem to forget that the idea of being of the seed of Israel is a thing in the Old Testament, right? This is Think of Eliezer, Abraham's servant, okay? He's not born of Abraham. He acquired him in Chaldea in Babylon, brought him with him as he left Chaldea of Ur. He came into the land of promise and then circumcised Eliezer several years later, about 25 years later, which means he brought him into covenant with him. But it's none of his seed. Eliezer was being grafted in. So this is the whole idea that you get grafted into the vine. So yes, we all, as disciples of Yeshua, right? He's our high priest. The high priest was to teach the law, the behavior of God to everyone below him. We're all under his authority. He's our high priest teaching us the law. We're discipling after his behavior, which is the law. We are his seed. So that's the metaphoric reference of that term. Let me actually go to... Um, an o- another quick offshoot of that. If you want to fill in some time, you're welcome to say something. I had to click on this real quick. Oh,
0: <laughs> I didn't, I actually didn't have much to add. Um, yeah, I guess we just have a, an issue with people taking metaphorical things literally and taking literal things and making them metaphor. And this is an example of that. Yeah. Um, this whole chapter, um, Isaiah 53 is all using figurative language. Um, so yeah, if you're not remembering that there's a figurative speech going on, then you will walk away thinking some things about him and his death that aren't necessarily scriptural.
1: Yeah. Um, I this is gonna take, I think, too long to find, but ultimately I think we I try to hit it from two different ways. Okay. There's there's a little application of the idea of the seed in scripture, the Zera, but then there's a metaphoric application that's used all throughout scripture. Um I, I've addressed that in other videos, but I try to give you the short, the short of it. It's basically being grafted into Israel. Ah, uh, you become into the seed. You, know, you become born of God, right? Sort of, sons this, of God, sons of God. Sons that's of the, light. the seed of God, right? You you come Spirit into that. Spirit
0: of adoption.
1: That's right. You step into those those uh idiomatic phrases, those descriptors, as you are grafted in through discipling in the behavior of God, which is the commandments. So, hopefully, that's a decent answer for you, brother. <coughs> Um, Suzanne Avery, this is a great question And I also heard this a lot When I went to a Baptist church as well So let me, I'm trying to remember the exact verse I'm pretty sure, I think it's Isaiah 51 but Let me look it up real quick um, You have to, as always, we're always talking about context And what's the context of when the Father Through the prophet is making this statement um, It's not only in Romans It's also in the Old Testament I just can't remember if it's Hang on a second guys. Yeah, it's that's not Isaiah 53, it's Psalm 53. Give me one second, guys. All right, so it's Isaiah 53 1. Let me go to a easier reading. mean Psalm, 53?
0: Psalm, Psalm 53.
1: Psalm Psalm 531. I'll put it on the screen here. Um, all right, so there's a couple mentions of this in Scripture. Um, the Romans 3 mention is not the the first mention, right? So here's a Psalm of David, Psalm 53. It says, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. Very similar to Psalm 14.1. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. That's the fools, right? There is no one who is who does good. <coughs> Bless you, sweetie. Excuse me. <laughs> there is there is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of mankind to see if there's anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them is turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Okay. Keep going. Have the workers of injustice no knowledge. He eat up my people like <laughs> they eat bread. Look at verse four and have not called on God. So we just got this statement. Uh, Susanna oftentimes the statements one through three they get they get quoted but they don't go on to the context which is verse four where which is this is just like a lot of the other psalms that David talks about where there's sinners around him in the Gentile nations that are attacking Israel he's continually through physical warfare defending Israel but from people that are considered sinners they're the the pagan nations around them yeah they're they're the ones that say there is no Yahweh that they're they're They've turned against and they're doing corruption. They're the ones that do work in and iniquity. And it says, here's the context. They eat up my people like they eat bread and have not called upon God. So, again, this is not a blanket statement <clears throat> for all of people in life. Not everyone persecutes the people of God. And and refused to call upon God. I mean, I just referenced it, you know, Luke chapter one, verse uh, four through seven earlier, which is John the Baptist's parents specifically says that they were blameless and righteous doing all the commandments of the Lord. So clearly, yeah, <laughs> clearly uh, David himself, right. Considered, you know, a friend of God because he was faithful throughout the entirety of his life. Yes, he made mistakes, but the entirety of life, he was faithful. Same thing with all the prophets, Elijah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, like right? Elisha. Clearly, these are people that are doing righteousness. They're doing what's right. Again, they're doing the definition of righteousness. But the context of this passage is speaking about the Gentile nations around Israel that were not that were worshiping the Baals and not doing it, therefore persecuting the people of Israel. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Um, Bobcat story has asked this a couple of times. I think I saw it before the show started even. No, uh, Bobcat's not sure if that's a male or female. No, uh, we will not. We will not be done. We actually are going by a different calendar that only has 12 months. Um, the idea of the calendar with Judaism, I know some people like to use uh, the Book of Enoch to try to make a case for that. But I personally have not been convinced by that loose case and, and would not agree with it personally because specifically the Book of Enoch goes off of the same 364 day calendar that Jubilees does and there's no 13th month there's only 12 um, specifically delineated by 91 day seasons so it's it's kind of interesting um, kind of where that comes from but anyway no we won't be doing that brother sorry Well thank you Davis see I appreciate that um, it says, thanks for the nearly three years of teaching I my wife have thoroughly enjoyed your teachings keep it up I appreciate it brother. Yeah, after three years, you've probably heard us repeat ourselves a lot. <laughs> How interesting, huh? That's what that's what like we joke about. I'm like, we actually talked about this probably like six months in, where we started to realize like this is why we did the context tree, right? Where we've got all the different themes on the context tree that we try to show people. And we started to realize that like the 99% of people's questions are over the same things over and over and over.
0: Yeah, I had a moment of realization one day that was basically okay being in ministry means I'm going to be repeating myself for the rest of my life
1: for the rest of your life you're repeating yourself every day for the rest of your life we we answer I answer emails answer you know social media questions we have a group on social media it's in the link description below
0: we also get accused of teaching things that we don't <laughs> yeah. teach and so we have to go and clarify yeah. and repeat ourselves because of all that so
1: yeah but ultimately all it breaks down to is we end up you know with with some some exception every now and then we get to talk about some extra fun things but for the most part we're just repeating what we consider the basics which are all the fundamentals on our context tree um so that's it's just over and over we repeat the same things for three years we'll probably keep doing it till we die i guess because no one's being taught this stuff in church yeah (laughs) so so we have to repeat it but the good news is as a result we've received an incredible amount of testimony from people saying that they've they've learned um, the Bible faster than than all their previous years in church. We this we get so many sweet letters, guys. And I apologize if we haven't been able to respond to all your letters and messages. Um, but we we received a letter one time. A guy said that he had been studying the Word like fifty years, you know. And he he dropped us a donation at the same time. Bless you, brother. Appreciate that. And he said that he found our channel. I mean, so I'm guessing this dude's at least eighty. You know, this brother's got to be at least seventy or eighty if he's been studying the Word for fifty years, and He said that he found us and, you know, he was he learned so much that after all this time, he he couldn't understand or grasp. And I'm just like, it makes me feel kind of weird, actually, It's you know, because I'm like, thank you, Father.
0: It's an answer to prayer because um, I've told this story on my Facebook before, but not every not everyone here is on Facebook Uh, when Sean and I first met. He um, shared with me that he had been praying for years for the father to give him the words that other people need to hear in order to understand and comprehend his word. And my jaw dropped on the floor when he said that, because that was literally the prayer I had had since I came to Christ and started understanding his word. And I was saying to the father every day, give specifically, I was saying, give me the words that other people need to hear because I have heard the words. Now I know I have the faith. I, you know, I'm there. I don't need all that much more (laughs) to solidify. I want to help other people understand. So I need to know what they need to hear, what words, you know, work with them and their brains in order to comprehend these things. And so he's, you know, when we realized we had the same prayer, um, it was incredible. And he's, I think he's been answering that prayer. Hopefully he's been answering that prayer. (laughs) I guess you guys would be the judge of that. Right. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we we view this as an honor, guys. Like this is not this is not taken lightly. Being able to do this stuff, yeah. um, and for you guys to respond like this, I mean, our yeah, like even tonight, um, we were we were praying before dinner, just thanking the Father for giving us the opportunity to be able to do this, um, for people to respond as they have, for people to get the feedback that we have that people claim that they are learning the scriptures and that's, what's are important to us that not just the point of learning the scriptures because you know, it's become rote memory, but because they're comprehending it. So that way they, you know, they can read, go to the next book that I haven't talked about yet and can pick it up and understand what it's talking about because they understand the themes. They, they they're being retrained on how to find context when they read, which is not something. None of us are really taught in church. And so they're, they're coming away telling us that they finally understand things. And then they're, like we've seen people over the past three years that have picked up stuff that we're talking about. And now we see them online, explain it to other people in ways I've never thought of. And it's yeah. beautiful because they're using the scriptures from all these other verses that I didn't normally use. And, and it's super effective for them, you know, because it's the father's words consistent. It's, it's all the same mm-hmm. theology is consistent. Mm-hmm. So we just take it seriously for everyone that has, you know, supported us with prayers and financial gifts in the past. We, we thank you. We really appreciate it. It helps us do what yeah. we do. Um, it's got us this far. Uh, otherwise i would have to be working a job and you'd get maybe one one video a week if i <laughs> so like you know i've i specifically for the last few years have have organized my life to be able to work a part-time job so i could do this and your financial support has helped me be able to create yeah. the amount of videos i have and to be here on a weekly basis like i have so thank you to everybody Donates us. Thank you for the super chats tonight. I really appreciate you guys. If you are listening and you do like what we do and you want to support us, links from the description below. We really appreciate you, because uh, we've got like we've got lo- so many awesome things I want to do, but yeah. you know I'm not there yet, right? We just
0: gotta have the time for it.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. The Lord, Lord willing, in the future, because um, like I want to do some like really cool shows, you know, where they're done with high production value and I actually have you know like a studio and I actually can interview some people that are. You know, like um, basically, unfortunately, sometimes people won't want to interact with you unless you have a certain production level. So they may think that you're competent in what you're doing, but they just don't want their face on screen unless they know it's done with the professional lighting and a camera and it's going to be handled with professional editing, that kind of thing. Because remember, anyone that collaborates with me on my channel, they want to share that on their channels to their people. So that's like you know, thank you guys for bringing us this far and we're praying the father will take us to new heights in the future. As far as who we'll be able to speak with, what kind of cringy interviews you'll see me doing in the future as I try to ask people about scripture and they, uh, they tap dance um, or just, you know, loving fellowships with, with uh, people that have established ministries because they see that we've been here and we're not going anywhere. So they're going to have to deal with this at some point. So so we appreciate everyone who's supported us so far. You guys are amazing. Looks like I can't understand this first one. The last name is Shepherd. It looks like Jason Shepherd, maybe. Sam, who, who do you think wrote the he- Book of Hebrews and why? I apologize. I don't. I don't know who wrote it. I suspect Paul or his assistant Barnabas. Um, I would say Paul first, but because of the complexity of how it's written from a prose. Yeah. Um, but why? <laughs> well, why? Because it's he's writing to a group of Hebrews that were becoming Christians. Uh, This was that was the first demographic of Christians in the first century AD were mostly Hebrews uh, to explain to them the priesthood of Yeshua and why that matters, because all the Hebrews understood the priesthood. They understood the role of a high priest and everything that meant and the prophecies of the Old Testament was for the Messiah to become a high priest. So he's expounding upon this position that Yeshua, in his resurrected state, ascending to the Father in heaven, has stepped into this position as a high priest and he spends it beautifully 12 chapters expounding on that idea and then capping it off with a few chapters in 11 and 13 that that kind of uh, talk about some supplementary issues that goes into that, about the faithfulness of that concept. But ultimately he's encouraging them in their faith by helping them have better (laughs) knowledge of their Messiah in his role as our high priest, something that we actually talk about a lot on this channel. So hopefully that's a good short answer for you. Did you have one that you saw you want to address?
0: No. Okay. I think I'm sundowning.
1: (laughs) Okay. We'll take uh,
0: the clock. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's a quarter to 10.
1: (laughs) My wife, she's, she's a young woman. She's an old woman in a young woman's body.
0: I am. Yeah. When it comes to sleeping and driving. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she goes to sleep early.
0: Yeah. And then I'm up early too.
1: Okay. So we're going to jump into our last question tonight, guys, will be a gravy question. Jake, this guy right here, he's asking with his Afro. Do you think that Nimrod will be cloned and that they got his DNA back in 201 or 02? Um,
0: (laughs) You can only speculate on that.
1: Yeah. I personally, um, I don't think he, I don't know if he's going to be cloned. It's, It's hard to say on that. I don't think it's the cloning. Okay. Let me say it like this if he's cloned, it's not in the way that you're suggesting or the way that modern science or modern, uh, science fiction would would portray as it's like some test tube body. That's no, but it's more along the lines of revelation nine says he's coming out of Sheol. He's coming out of the pit. Right. So this is where I don't know how he gets a body back. I personally believe that there is some transhumanism involved as far as the type of body, um, like a biological Android style body that he could possess. And I think personally, that is the goal of transhumanism. I'm going to be covering this more on our kingdom cast series. As I continue investigating Babylon series guys, by the way, I I haven't forgot about it. We're going to finish it. I've just been super busy trying to um, with, with other duties and responsibilities. I haven't been able to do uh, all the preparation I need for all those episodes. So we are going to get back to it as soon as possible, hopefully next week. But in that series, I'm going to be expounding upon the idea of transhumanism and what it lies to mankind, but then what behind the scenes, what they truly want to do with transhumanism in order, in my opinion, to create suitable host bodies for unclean spirits.
0: Yeah. Um. Just from my knowledge of certain weird, freaky things done within the occult. Yes, there's a there's a goal to have host bodies is the idea. Yeah. And there's all kinds of weird, freaky rituals that they try to do to birth babies that, you know, can basically be born without souls so that souls can be inhabited by unclean spirits. So probably be, I don't know if
1: they've accomplished that.
0: I don't, I can't say that I'm not saying they've accomplished it. I just know they have a goal of trying to do that. And they've been working toward it for a long time. Yes. Which maybe that's where the AI comes in. I mean, maybe there has to be some sort of merging for this process specifically to happen. I mean, I just, I basically, when it comes to this particular part of scripture, I always picture the orc, the Orochai army <laughs> being birthed, grown and birthed, you know, under Middle Earth and right, Lord, Lord of the Rings. Of the Rings um and obviously that doesn't involve AI, but I mean I think it's that kind of thing where they're trying to create some kind of abominations that these unclean spirits can have physical bodies yeah. to perform physical
2: duties.
1: As the Apocalypse of Abraham chapter 27 talks about 1 through 6 says that one of the 8th judgments that happens in the the 10 judgments that are happening through the book of Revelation, um, one of them is an attack of the specters, attack of the Shadim, and that's what I believe we're seeing in Revelation chapter 9 1 through 11 with these things that come up with the Apollyon as all of them unclean spirits, including Apollyon all of them come up, uncle- but they have these types of chimera bodies that are a mixture of different things so this is this will make perfect sense, not just with ancient history, but also with modern day transhumanism. I'm gonna be going over it more in my Kingdom Cast series. Um so that's it for tonight, guys. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Ann, for the super chat. She just dropped a couple dollars, five dollars, I think. Thank you so much. I, I thank you. I, I'm glad that you're that you're getting something out of this. And uh thank you everyone for being here. We're gonna go Shabbat.
0: That's right. <laughs>
1: And we will see you guys in the morning for tour portions. Don't miss. it; It's going to be wild.
0: Have a blessed rest. Love you guys.